Our scripture passage comes from the book of John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Some Greeks were among those who had come up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and made a request. Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Jesus replied, The time has come for the human one to be glorified. I assure you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their lives will lose them, and those who hate their lives in this world will keep them forever. Whoever serves me must follow me. Wherever I am, there my servant will also be. My father will honor whoever serves me. Now I am deeply troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this time. No, for this is the reason I have come to this time. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard and said, It's thunder. Others said, An angel spoke to him. Jesus replied, This voice wasn't for my benefit, but for yours. Now is the time for judgment of this world. Now this world's ruler will be thrown out. When I am lifted up from earth, I will draw everyone to me. He said this to show how he was going to die. As spring is coming, uh, the other day I was asking a friend, when is the last frost? Gardeners always talk about uh, when the last frost is, when it's okay to start planting our seeds so we can grow, when the growing season is gonna start. Because if you plant your seeds too soon and a frost comes, it could destroy um, everything that you planted. And so when is the last frost was the question I was asking my friend and we were talking about various things like us, starting our plants indoors first, uh, seedlings and then transferring them outside when it's warmer and stuff like that. And I went to Fred Meyer, Home Depot, different places and looked at seeds and started to think about what I'm gonna plant this year, what vegetables, what plants, what flowers I'm gonna grow this year. And I bought some seeds and, you know, seeds are really interesting things. They come in these small packets and they're tiny little things and they're dry. There doesn't seem to be any life in them, right? They're, for all intents and purposes, dead. And um, to think about where a seed comes from, it comes from you know, the parent plant, the plant who once during the growing season, during the spring or summer, was growing, was green, and was bearing fruit. And at the end of that plant's life cycle, you know, see, it, be, it begins to seed and drops uh, these seeds or you harvest the seeds. And, you know, I, I began to think about, man, it's so amazing that from something that was living and then not living anymore and almost giving its whole life, all of its energy, all of the sunlight it had gathered, all of the nutrients it had gathered during the season from the soil to finally letting out these seeds, like offering these seeds to the world, offering these seeds to the ground as it is dying. Um, and then from these seeds, drying them out, preparing them uh, for a new season, that something so small, so insignificant and seemingly lifeless can be the source 
or catalysts of new life, of the future of the former plant. It's really amazing that um, Easter, Lent, as we look forward to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this follows um, spring. <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus happens in the middle of spring when we are all, the world creation, are all leaning into new life after having come out of death, out of nothingness, out of cold. We, we hear the chirping of birds. We see the blossoming of the flowers that are coming up um, from bulbs once again. And it's a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. And um, we've come through a very hard time um, as a church, as a city, as a nation, as the world has experienced a pandemic. And a lot of us are experiencing some amount of new hope. Right? Things are still hard. We're still, you know, in many ways, sheltered from other people. Um, but like the groundhog, we're starting to, I feel, I sense we're starting to inch out of our holes and, and think about uh, what life can be again, out there, interacting again, being with one another again, being active in the world. And so... There's, and with the vaccine um, that's been coming and that's been very effective, I think it's brought a lot of us hope. Like, oh, we're coming out of this thing. We're coming out of this thing. And new life and new possibility is once again before us. What does that bring up in our hearts? What does that bring up our hearts? But in our passage, Jesus alludes to the image of a seed, right? The image of a plant that unless, uh, specifically a wheat plant, unless a wheat kernel dies or at least a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit, right? The cycle of life. Jesus is saying that in death, actually, the possibility of new life exists. And you can't have the abundance of new life unless that death happens. And what he's specifically alluding to is his own suffering, crucifixion and death. But then, resurrection. That the way of Jesus, his mission on earth, the plan as it's unfolding is... That he will be glorified, that the Father will be glorified indeed, but that glory is not necessarily how the world defines it. Glory is not what his disciples maybe thought it would look like. What glory means, the vision of glory for Jesus as he's walking towards his crucifixion and walking towards his death is glory will only come if I go through this suffering and this death and fall to the ground and die. Only then can new life happen. Only then will God be glorified. Central to the teachings of Jesus for his followers was this. Only in death will there be glory. Only in losing one's life does one keep it. Only in service 
of God and neighbor? Is there a path to greatness, to true greatness? This laying down of our lives, this laying down and dying, is what some people call the cruciform life. Cruciform obviously comes from the word cross, the root word cross. Living the cruciform life is living just as Jesus' mission and path to ultimate victory came and journeying to the cross. He puts the same disposition before us, before any who would follow him. You need to walk the path that I'm walking. Whoever wants to be my follower must be about what I'm about. To serve me, you have to be in the places I am, the places I go. You have to care about the things that I care about. You have to live the type of life that I would live, that I am living as a model, as an example before you. Just as I'm headed to the cross, disciples, your life and heart and action must be bent towards the cross. Just as growing plants on a windowsill bend towards the sunlight, they bend towards the sunlight to drink of the sun's rays, the nutrients that feed them. So too, disciples of Jesus Christ, our lives must be bent towards the cross, bent towards um, what Jesus is bent towards, bent towards Jesus himself. Amen. So unless you're like a grain of wheat, which falls and dies to then bear much fruit, you cannot live the truly full life. The active verbs are fall and die, fall and die. We must live lives as citizens of Christ's kingdom in which we regularly fall, die, let go, lose ourselves, deny and forsake ourselves, serve Jesus and serve others, put others before our own selves, love our neighbors like ourselves. No greater love has anyone than this when a than when a person lays down their life for their friends, just as Jesus laid down his life for all of us. We're called to lay down our lives. Faithful discipleship isn't about comfort all the time or simple ritual or the search for the meeting of our own spiritual needs. But discipleship according to Jesus here is being drawn more deeply into the kingdom of God through love, service, and compassionate love for others. Faith is taking on vulnerability. Just as Jesus did to demonstrate God's power, just as Jesus faced humility and torture and death to declare, in order to declare victory over death. So at the uh, we learn in our passage that the Greeks approached Philip and it's during the Passover um, this is after this is after Jesus's John's version of Jesus's triumphant in, entry. Palm, why we celebrate Palm Sunday, Jesus's last entrance into Jerusalem before his arrest 
um, and his death. Um, so he's entering into Jerusalem. It's during the Passover. The population, obviously, during the Passover festival has swelled as people from surrounding lands and areas all come. The people, Jews from the diaspora, also Gentiles, Greeks, and surrounding lands who have become God-fearers, who worship Yahweh but are not Jewish even, are coming in. And they're all coming to make this pilgrimage to worship God in the temple during the Passover festival. And we see that Greeks approach Philip. They're coming from um, the hometown of Philip. And perhaps they're speaking to Philip in Greek. They are God-fearers, Gentiles from surrounding lands who are like faithful Jews making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they want to see Jesus. They say, I want to see Jesus. What are they expecting as they come to see Jesus? We are also told in the passage before um, this that many came to Jerusalem not only to see Jesus, but to see Lazarus, right? Last, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead, right? A dead man was raised to life, and words of this spread like wildfire in Jerusalem and in surrounding areas. And so we see here that some people are coming to Jerusalem just to find Jesus and just to even see Lazarus. Oh my gosh, we want to see this miracle, this miracle person who was brought back to life. And Jesus, his popularity and his fame has grown also like wildfire. There's a lot of momentum around Jesus as he's one going towards Jerusalem and he's entering Jerusalem, <coughs> not only are people coming into Jerusalem for the Passover festival, but it says many have come to see Jesus and they're following Jesus by the thousands. Even the Pharisees themselves, they say, who are all these people? The whole world have come to see Jesus. Why do they want to see Jesus? Do they want to see if indeed a man could be raised from the dead? Perhaps they are looking for some new truth or new idea to learn about and talk about. If you remember in Acts, Paul's visit in Athens, he's debating with the Greeks in the marketplace. He's talking with the Greeks in the marketplace in Athens. And the, the scripture says in Acts that peep, the Greeks, all they liked to do was talk about the next new thing, the next new idea, the new philosophy, and argue about it. Perhaps they wanted to be, to learn about the next new idea. What is this Jesus thing about? Or perhaps they wanted to be healed like the thousands who followed Jesus everywhere he went, just to touch him, just by the off chance that they could be healed by his touch or they could, their friends could be healed by him. Maybe that's it. They just want to see a miracle. They just want to see something powerful. All of us are looking to see Jesus in one way or another. Maybe you don't even know that you're looking for Jesus, but you're looking for something. You want to see God. You want to see, you want to see goodness in the world. Have you ever 
found yourself seeking after Jesus, wanting to see Jesus. God, I want to see you. God, I'm looking for you. How are you in your life right now looking for Jesus? What does this look like for you? A spiritual experience? A rational explanation for Jesus? A miracle? Do you need a miracle in your life? Are you looking for meaning in your life? Are you waiting for him to speak to you? Do you want to hear his words guiding you? Do you want to receive an answer to prayer? Do you want to experience a genuine, a genuine, you want to have a genuine experience of love and community? People who you love and people who love you. Are you looking for guidance and provision during a time when you're at the crossroads or when you're in desperate need? Or are you in search of real power? Are you in search of glory? Something, just something that'll give you life, that'll make, give life power and meaning and purpose for you. Perhaps these Greek men want to see glory. Jesus has just raised Lazarus after all. They want to see the man, the myth, the legend who did such a thing. And as I said, there's so much momentum following Jesus right now as he's made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Since the raising of Lazarus, the Pharisees are hot on his trail, putting a target on his back. They've put it on blast out to the world. Anyone who knows of the whereabouts of Jesus, let us know. They even put out a most wanted, a wanted sign for Lazarus, right? They've put Lazarus out there in Jerusalem wanting to know. Anyone who sees Lazarus, let us know. Because they seek to kill Jesus and Lazarus. It's gotten to that point. It's gotten to that point where the greatness of Jesus and the miracle he's done through Lazarus is so controversial in their political mindedness, so unacceptable, so threatening to them that they want to get rid of Jesus and Lazarus. The Pharisees themselves say, again, look, the entire world is following Jesus. This is unacceptable to them. This is politically unacceptable. This is spiritually unacceptable. And we know that their central fear, as they've said earlier in earlier chapters, is that the Romans the occupying Romans would see what Jesus is doing and see the people following Jesus and bring down their crushing hand even further. For them, Jesus is gaining too much influence, too much glory, and it's becoming a threat to their way of life. And what do we think about when we imagine glory? What is glory to you? 
What is glory in our culture? Is it winning? What is glory in our world? What is glory to you? What is glory in our culture? Winning, power, prestige, influence, championships, recognition, the roar of the crowd. March Madness is upon you. And I have to admit, watching just a couple of games of March Madness, it's not the same without the crowds, right? Students, college students bring so much energy, so much glory to this and the buzzer beaters, <coughs> the roar of the crowd achieving the heights of human capability. That is glory in the mainstream cultural sense. And everyone is misunderstanding Jesus as it pertains to glory in one way or another. Some expect Jesus to be the great king of the Jews to militarily overthrow the Roman Empire. Some desire and expect more public displays of signs, wonders, and healing miracles. But Jesus here is laying out his path of glory and power. Our passage itself is part of Jesus's farewell discourse. And, and our particular section here in chapter 12 is his final public teachings. His final public teachings after this, we'll get Jesus's farewell discourse and final teachings with just him and his disciples in private, all the way up leading to his arrest and crucifixion. And so, this is an important time. Jesus knows he's headed towards death. And so he has these last words for those who would follow him, and especially his more intimate circle of disciples. His last teaching and his last words, we need to lean into it. Because in these is the core of the disciple, of discipleship, is the core of, what the gospel, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to live the cruciform life, what it means to live the kingdom life. Jesus is laying out his path of glory and power, God's plan for saving the world, and it's not glamorous. It will be for Jesus a path of great suffering unto death. It'll be a path seen as weak, and being the loser in the world's eyes. It will be a path that will bring rejection and humiliation and abandonment. Peter and his other close followers will scatter and ghost everything about Jesus. And one thing I want to throw in here, none of us are Jesus. None of us are Jesus. Jesus is not saying, be me, be saviors of your world. Most of us will not die, literally die, for other people. Most of us don't want to die at all. We seek to preserve our lives naturally. We shouldn't have to force our own suffering or our own losing ourselves. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, as Jesus says you must lose your life in order to find it, it doesn't mean we manufacture 
the cruciform life. It doesn't mean we manufacture things to suffer. We kill ourselves spiritually. We don't act like many messiahs in how we throw ourselves at self-sacrificing crosses. That's called a messiah complex, right? We're not the messiah. We're not Jesus. There's only Jesus that's Jesus. But trusting and following Jesus will bring about losing and pain and sacrificing naturally. If you are going to the places Jesus is at, if you are following Jesus down the path that he's leading you, if you're saying yes to Jesus, yes to Jesus in your daily walk and your life, you will experience suffering. You will experience a loss of self. You will experience persecution. But blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who weep. Right? There is reward. There's reason. There's redemption and salvation. Jesus says it here essentially. If you want to serve me, you will follow me. If you love me, you will be where I am at. You want to put me in a box? You think I am leading you to go somewhere? I'm not. I am going to a hard place. A cup that is hard to bear and drink. And following me, you will have similar cups in your life. Right? You will experience hard choices. You will experience loss and sacrifice. But when you let go and fall to the ground like a grain of wheat and lose yourself, the possibility of amazing new life is there because my Father will be glorified through you. This is what Jesus is saying is the life of the disciple, the life of the followers of Jesus, of us, the life of the church. What does it look like to live the cruciform life? What does it look like to be like a kernel of wheat falling and dying? Not all of us will actually die for our faith, will actually die because we're Christians. I know for me, my family will tell you, it's not easy for me to lose myself because I can be very selfish, right? Honestly, I see a bunch of dishes on the counter and filling up the sink, right? And I feel tired, I don't wanna do them, I'm lazy. I just kind of in my head like, oh, if I let it sit there long enough, Janice will do it, right? Someone else will do it, right? My family will tell you, it's hard for me to get up and do those dishes, right? It's hard for me to admit when I'm wrong or to say I'm sorry when I've hurt my children or when I've hurt my wife. It's really hard for me to come back to my wife and say, you know what, you were right, <laughs> I was wrong. It's hard for me to yield to the other driver 
when they've cut me off. I want to chase them down, pass them, and cut them back off. Right? There's that myself, my ego, my pride. I don't want to lay down before anyone because that means they beat me. That means I'm always afraid of being someone's doormat. I don't want to be a doormat. I don't want to be a pushover. I don't want to be weak. There are so many ways we can choose to travel the path of Jesus in our everyday life. <clears throat> and especially in these times. What does it mean to let go of a right to our own ideas right, and thoughts and let go of our agendas in order to actually listen to what another person is saying to us? and consider their point of view above defending and proving our own point of view. Listening is a way that we lay down our lives. Listening is a way that we lose our lives for the, for the sake of others. In other words, listening is a servant task. Listening is something we do in order to serve other people. What does it mean to hold our church traditions, our worship styles, our preferences loosely in order to be a part of a community of difference, a diverse, multi-ethnic community committed to one another in order to be diverse, in order to have different people in one community is hard, right? It's not the natural way because birds of a feather flock together and we all like this type of worship music, we like this type of preaching. We like to do potlucks after Sunday like this. We like to sit in pews. No, we don't like pews. We like to do this or this. But we need to die to that. We need to let go of our preferences in order for Christ's community to thrive in its fullness and diversity. It's, church isn't a place where we get all of our comforts, our creature comforts met, all of our needs met. Oh, this is the perfect place. I'm going church shopping, and this is a place where I'm the most comfortable. I don't, that's not what I hear Jesus saying about what it means to follow him. Jesus is not saying, follow me and be the most comfortable that you can be. No, die. To follow me is to lose your life in order to save it. And I'm just giving a few examples, right? Because sometimes we can't connect our heads to what it means to die to ourselves. Oh, I'm not dying on the cross. No one's persecuting me, right? I don't experience that. But there are ways that we can let go of what we insist on our lives being. What does it look like to love our neighbor as ourselves? To actually love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. To not sit at the popular table all the time. To not go through life relating to people in order to gain, to elevate ourselves, to get, rise, climb the ladder, right? You don't always have to sit at the table with the popular people. Try to move and be proximate in spaces where we are not at our best, right? We are not the center. We're not 
the best at doing something. Where we're maybe invisible, we're not as com comfortable. Where our gifts aren't the most affirmed and the most seen in this community. What does it look like to be in spaces where we are the receivers and not the givers all the time? We're not always the people with the power, right? Pitying others, giving to others, serving others, where we are vulnerable and need to receive, be the receivers. What does that look like? What does it look like to advocate for and genuinely be in relationship and befriend those who are less fortunate than us? To align ourselves with the marginalized and the voiceless because we too were once slaves in Egypt and God let us out. We too were strangers. We too were immigrants. We too were orphans. And what does it mean to give up the mic? What does it mean to give up the mic so that others can speak? To let go of the mic when we're so used to being heard, when we're so used to our ideas being the ones that are the center. What does it mean to let go and be like, other people have ideas, other people have thoughts. I can give my spotlight to someone else so their ideas and their thoughts and their words hold the center stage. What does that mean? That, those are the types of ways that means to lose our life in order to gain it. Those are the types of ways God may be calling you, Jesus may be calling you to fall from that wheat head like a grain, like a seed, to fall to the ground. Right? And unless we let go of these things that we hold on to for control and power and glory in our own lives, unless we fall down and break, Jesus cannot do a new thing in you. Because when he does something in you, it's going to be far greater than anything you can imagine. Right? You are going to be way better off but you just need to let go and let God transform you and renew you and resurrect you into new life because that's where Jesus is at. That's what he's about, right? He wants to make us new. We want, he wants us to rise up in his form as he's molding us you know this was a gift that our superintendent of our conference gave to us when we first came here in, to Linwood and opened the church here in Linwood and it was just this tiny little bamboo shoot and uh, I've never taken care of it <laughs> I've never watered it I've never done anything to it and uh, it's growing, it's thriving. It's, become, it's getting new shoots. It's, it's way bigger than it once was. 
and Jesus knows way more than you can know about how to bring out life in you. So let go and receive what he has for you. Let's pray. God, Jesus, thank you for your love and your sacrifice. And thank you for the hard teaching that what it means to follow you isn't necessarily comfort and pleasant what we think is the best for us but it actually comes in our own submission and obedience to you and our death um, but in dying in you we're given new life through the power of your Holy Spirit through the power of your resurrection in us to lift us up and so in this season of Lent we repent we confess and we want to be where you're at we want to be about what you're about help us to let go of the things that we're holding on to so we can rise up with you rise up with you rise up